Hello, and welcome to Building Local Power. I'm Stacey Mitchell of the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. We have a special treat this week. We wanted to introduce you to one of our other podcasts. Uh, It's called Local Energy Rules. And in particular, they're doing a special six-part series called Voices of 100%. So today on the show, we're going to play you the first episode of that series. Here's what it's all about. A growing number of cities, big and small, are making commitments to transition to 100% renewable energy. And Voices of 100% will be highlighting the voices of some of the city leaders uh, that are doing this to learn how they're implementing these big renewable energy commitments. First up, we interview Mayor Dale Ross from Georgetown, Texas. I hope you'll enjoy the conversation. If you want to listen to the rest of the Voices of 100% series or check out all of our podcasts, you can go to ilsr.org slash podcasts. That's ilsr.org slash podcasts. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. Across the country, more than 50 cities of all sizes have adopted goals to generate 100% of their electricity from renewable resources. While the growing number of these commitments is an encouraging sign, few cities have created a clear pathway to achieve their goals. To learn more, we started asking folks why these commitments matter and how cities will follow through on their promise to transform the local energy system. You're listening to an episode of Voices of 100%, a new multi-part series from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance's Local Energy Rules podcast, where we're speaking with local leaders from across the country to understand their reasons for pursuing a 100% renewable energy goal, how their city plans to achieve that goal, and what these visionaries see as the future of local renewable energy. Over 50 U.S. cities have adopted a goal to generate 100% of their electricity from renewable resources, but only a few have actually done it. This week, we learn about a city that used its power of ownership to achieve a bold clean energy goal two years ago that most other cities don't plan to reach for a decade or more. Dale Ross is the mayor of Georgetown, a Texas city whose locally owned utility signed contracts to get 100% of its electricity from wind and solar power in 2016. Ross recently spoke with me about that decision and why wind and sun make sense. I'm John Farrell, Director of the Energy Democracy Initiative at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and this is Local Energy Rules, a podcast sharing powerful stories about local renewable energy. Mayor Ross, welcome to the program. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. I wanted to start off by asking you about how Georgetown managed to get ahead of the 69 other cities that have set a goal to be 100% renewable by getting all of its power from the wind and from the sun last year? Well, one of the things that happened it was in 2016 is when we actually uh, went 100% uh, renewable, uh, using uh, 100% renewable uh, resources. What happened is we were coming to the end of a contract, and we wanted to expedite closing out that contract. So you can't just walk away from contracts. We wrote a big check because uh, we, we found it, it the, the most important thing with us, it was a business decision back in the day. And so what we decided was we wanted two things to happen. One, we wanted to eliminate volatility in the, in the market in the short term. And we also wanted to have an energy source that mitigated regulatory and governmental risk. And the only thing that fit those two items was a wind and solar. So we bought our way out of uh, our existing contract and signed a 20 and 25 year contract with wind and solar. Uh, so we have... We know what our price is going to be all the way until the year 2041. And so cost certainty is certainly important to us. 
and there is no car there is no escalators in this 20 and 25 year contracts that we've signed so that's why we decided to do it and that's how we were able to do it at the same time that we were negotiating with wind and solar providers we were also negotiating with natural gas providers they would only commit to fixed pricing over seven years and that didn't meet our long-term strategy we wanted 20 25 year contracts so you were successful in being able with these wind and solar contracts to get some more certainty over the long term and to mitigate the regulatory risk. Did you also get good prices? Are you able to share, for example, the contract prices that Georgetown received for the wind and solar projects it signed up? Well, we can't because this is a competitive matter and I would be violating the law if I shared the terms of that contract. Well, we don't want to get you in any trouble. But uh, let's look at the big picture. Three years ago, when Georgetown first made this commitment, ILSR took the time to analyze the costs of wind and solar across the country to get an estimate of what we thought Georgetown would be paying. And we found that there were hundreds of city-owned utilities uh, in a couple dozen states that we thought could get similar prices for wind and solar energy. And we've actually just redone the analysis in concert with this podcast. What is it that you think stops those cities uh, that can get economical energy from making the switch to? Well, one of the things is uh, if you have existing contracts, you can't just walk away from those. So say, for example, if you were a municipality and you had a, a coal contract for 15 more years, I mean, you'd have to buy your way out of that contract. You can't just walk away from it. Um, but we are at the tipping point right now. Say, for example, you can buy uh, wind energy for about $18 a, a megawatt compared to coal, which is over $25 a megawatt. So I think this is going to be an economic decision, and this is what the cities are going to make the decisions based on. And what we found out is once you win the economic decision, by default, you win the environmental decision, you know, the environmental argument as well, because you get the best of both possible worlds. You get lowest pricing, and you also get an energy supply that's very kind to the environment. So you've mentioned contracts again, and I wanted to point out for our listeners that most utilities, uh, especially smaller ones, go in with other utilities together to do group purchases of electricity uh, in order to get a better deal. Uh, was Georgetown as well part of a group purchase when it was previously getting its power, and, and how has that changed? We were in a supply contract with the LCRA, and one of, the, one of the drivers is, you know, we had a conversation with them back in 2010. And we really wanted, the goal back then was to have 30% of our energy portfolio in renewables. And the LCRA had no interest in adding that amount to the portfolio. So what we decided, we would get rid of LCRA's contract, and then we would manage uh, purchase power ourselves. And that's when we came into these two contracts with wind and solar. Your story makes me think of Farmers Electric Cooperative. It's a small utility in southeastern Iowa which has also made some really remarkable shifts towards renewable energy from wind and solar, uh, both generated by their own members and also uh, purchased by the utility. And the, and the key to their success was not being in any of these long-term contracts, that they are on their own. They are self-reliant in terms of having their own backup power, but they're also able to go out and buy power from the larger grid. And it seems to me that that opportunity to own your own utility is, or to control your future is really crucial. Well, it certainly is easier when you have your own city-owned municipal um, uh, utility. It makes it a lot easier. And, uh, I mean, what we wanted to do is we wanted to have control over our future. And this is one of the things. Now, we are we did assume the risk, but we felt like we were very capable of assuming the risk over the long term. 
And that's what we've been able to achieve so far. And others can do the same thing. This is scalable as well. Uh, you just, you know, it depends on what your current situation is. It depends on, you know, what your current contracts are. And because, uh, we, you know, coal is, is just going to go away. I mean, it's just not going to be price competitive in the market. In fact, in Texas, four coal plants have already closed since January 1st of this year. Um, utility department has been talking to the city of Denton, Texas, which is a um, about 110,000 uh, population city north of Dallas, and they will be 100% renewable in 2020. And they're working on that right now, and our guys have been uh, working with them closely and giving them uh, advice and answering their questions and so forth. Although cost and certainty seem to be really the primary drivers of the decision to go with the wind and solar contracts, you also mentioned water as another benefit of wind and solar energy. Could you talk a little bit more about water consumption and why it is that wind and solar energy allow you to reduce water consumption in the production of electricity? Well, especially in Texas. I mean, we've been in a sustained drought in our state. It hadn't been as bad the last several years as it was, say, seven or eight years ago. But look at look what it takes water-wise to produce fossil fuels. Significantly more water than windmills. Windmills require virtually nothing, and solar is the same way. So it does conserve on the water side as well. And I think, you know, with the city of Georgetown, we have a 50-year contract on water supply. But, you know, we, yesterday we were just, uh, this is for the fourth year in a row, we're in the top 10 fastest growing cities in the country, we've been first, second, fifth, and sixth. Uh, our growth rates, you know, somewhere around five to six percent a year. And so we're really, um, uh, we pay a lot of attention to future growth because it's going to require more electricity and more water in our, our jurisdiction and uh, to accommodate that growth. So water is important. And I, if it can, if you do, if you didn't wind and solar, you, you will save water because it doesn't take very much water to that kind of energy. You're listening to an interview with Dale Ross from Georgetown, Texas, as part of our Voices of 100% series from Local Energy Rules. Do you know of any folks we should interview about 100% renewable energy commitments in their community? If so, send us an email at voicesof100 at ilsr.org. That's voicesof100 at ilsr.org. Stay tuned for the rest of this episode after a short message from our Energy Democracy Initiative Director, John Farrell. Hey, thanks for listening to Local Energy Rules. If you've made it this far, you're obviously a fan, and we could use your help for just two minutes. As you've probably noticed, we don't have any corporate sponsors or ads for any of our podcasts. The reason is that our mission at ILSR is to reinvigorate democracy by decentralizing economic power. Instead, we rely on you, our listeners. Your donations not only underwrite this podcast, but also help us produce all of the research and resources that we make available on our website and all of the technical assistance we provide to grassroots organizations. Every year, ILSR's small staff helps hundreds of communities challenge monopoly power directly and rebuild their local economies. So please take a minute and go to ILSR.org and click on the Donate button. And if making a donation isn't something you can do, please consider helping us in other ways. You can help other folks find this podcast by telling them about it or by giving it a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The more ratings from listeners like you, the more folks can find this podcast 
and ILSR's other podcasts, Community Broadband Bits and Building Local Power. Thanks again for listening. Now, back to the program. So you've obviously had a lot of attention for what you've accomplished in Georgetown. Articles in the Smithsonian Magazine and news pieces across the country. Are folks ever surprised to hear that this kind of push for renewable energy is coming from Texas? Yeah, I think so. But I think what has to happen, it has to, you know, this big push on renewable energy has to go from the ground up, which are cities and counties. Because typically the states aren't in charge of providing power, nor are the federal governments. All they can do at the state level and federal level is mess things up for us guys on the front lines. But yeah, I think that the politics here in my city, I mean, we're very Republican, a very Republican city, county, and state. I think that is a shocker. You know, the first city in the the country that was 100% renewable was Burlington, Vermont. And the mayor at that time was um, Senator Bernie Sanders. And so I think uh, everybody has this preconceived idea that renewable energy and clean energy is this liberal, progressive, primarily democratic thing. And what we did is we just we put the silly partisan national politics aside and made the decision based on the facts. And the facts led us to wind and solar energy was the best fit for our city. And I think if uh, other cities will just base their decisions based on the facts, they'll come to the same conclusion. One other question I had is how this choice for getting your electricity supply from wind and solar uh, affects the local economy. Do you see it as creating more jobs? Do you see it as having other benefits for the local economy? Well, it does give us predictability, and it gives us a supply that's readily available through 2041. That's what we've contracted for. Um, you, you know, our energy is produced. Our wind is up near Amarillo in the Panhandle of Texas. And on July 1st, the solar farm is going to open, which is in Fort Stockton, which is about two hours from El Paso. And so there are job creation out there. Now, what we've found out is there's a lot of major companies throughout the country that have these robust green policies. And so, for example, for existing businesses, like we have a Walmart here, they can report back to their headquarters in Bentonville that 100% electricity that their store used last year was renewable. And then it's been an economic development tool for us. Those companies that are looking to expand their operations and use renewable energy, uh, we, we definitely, it's available and it's affordable in Georgetown. Uh, and also the uh, publicity that we've received over the last few years, marketing firm the other day did an analysis for us and interviews that I've done have uh, created over $20 million in free advertising. Now, some of the people in Georgetown tell me to quit doing interviews because four people want to move here. And like I alluded to earlier, now we're the sixth fastest growing city in the country. So some folks are saying, hey, you know, we're, we're growing too fast. Let's slow down. Um, and so quit doing interviews. But anyway, it's a, it's a compelling story. Uh, I like telling the story. I think whatever we can share with other cities, uh, it'll make the world a better place because if you have more renewable energy, you're having a, a lot less hydrocarbons in the air and you're making it better for everybody. Have you had any thoughts about how you can leverage your work with the municipal utility on renewable energy into other things? For example, my colleague, Chris Mitchell, uh, who has a great podcast, Community Broadband Bits, talks a lot about other cities using their municipal electric utilities to put in broadband infrastructure to give affordable access to the internet uh, to residents and businesses across cities. Is there anything beyond energy that you're looking at? Well, we're mainly focused on the 100% renewable, but 
we were one of 35 cities that were released recently were granted $100,000 from the Bloomberg Foundation. And what that is allowing us to do is to pursue our concept of a virtual solar plant in, in the city of Georgetown. And the concept is this. We, the city, would we would put solar panels on your rooftop, on your home, and your business, and we wouldn't charge you for that, but we would allow you, you would allow us to get the electricity off of your rooftops. And so that has a lot of practicality because then that would have, we would have less dependence on the Texas, the state of Texas grid. And so that would give us more independence. And our strategies work out very well because it's actually uh, neutralized and, and mitigated any federal risk. You know, when President Trump um, made a huge mistake by pulling out of the uh, climate uh, or the Paris Climate Accord, that did that decision didn't affect us in Georgetown at all. And federal tax law uh, can't really impact us unless the knuckleheads in D.C. try to figure out how to um, make it more costly to produce renewable energy. And so, again, our, our, our strategy has always been minimize, mitigate, minimize, you know, short-term volatility in the pricing market, and also um, mitigate and, and minimize regulatory and governmental risk. And so th that is a very compelling argument to go to renewables uh, if you want to have um, uh, the, the lowest possible rates on your electricity to the, the people that elected us to serve their best interests. I'm really interested by the discussion of the virtual power plant. There's a really fascinating story out of South Australia where the utility and the government there are looking to network as many as 50,000 solar homes uh, to work together to meet electricity needs and to more easily balance the grid. Uh, so just really interesting to hear that you're thinking about that as well for Georgetown and, and what some of its uh, benefits could be to networking that together. Yeah, because, you know, it is moving along. and. Uh... I think it has a lot of practicality to it too. You know, when you transmit, you know, when you transmit energy, you say from six to eight hundred miles away, you're going to have loss along the way. And so, if you did this at the local level, uh, we predict that if we could actually implement this uh, by 2030, we could get 50% of our energy source would be sourced locally through uh, sunshine, solar energy. And so, right now, we're competing with the other. 35 cities, they have four more $1 million grants and the grand prize grant of $5 million to be awarded. And if we were awarded the $5 million grant, that would really move us down the line to implementation. This is John Farrell, director of ILSR's Energy Democracy Initiative. I was speaking with Dale Ross, the mayor of Georgetown, Texas, about his city's move to 100% renewable electricity and how it was primarily driven by an opportunity to access affordable power. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of our Voices of 100% special series of Local Energy Rules. For more information on cities that have committed to 100% renewable energy, check out the other episodes in this series and explore ILSR's interactive community power map, which is available at ILSR.org. While you're on our website, you can also find more than 50 past episodes of the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can sign up for one of our newsletters and connect with us on social media. Once again, please help us out by rating and reviewing this episode on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and by sharing it with your friends. Until next time, keep your energy local, and thanks for listening. 
Thank you for tuning into this episode of Building Local Power. I hope you enjoyed this special treat from our Local Energy Rules podcast and their new series, Voices of 100%. This show is produced by Lisa Gonzalez and Hiba Murray. Our theme music is Funk Interlude by Dysfunction Al. For the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, I'm Stacey Mitchell. I hope you'll join us again in two weeks for the next episode of Building Local Power.